Well, good morning, church. Everybody ready for this morning? Just sort of ready for this morning? Yay, okay, good. Uh, my name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and uh, it truly is an honor to be able to spend a little time with you this morning uh, to open up God's Word, to allow him to teach us something new today. I'm gonna be honest with you. I've got about three hours of content. I've gotta get in about 35 minutes. So uh, we're not gonna waste any time. We're just gonna jump right in. As Chad said, we are in a series called Simple Prayers, and we've been talking through the past couple of weeks that some of the prayers that exist within the Bible are not extensive, they're not grandiose, they're not particularly impressive prayers, but they're effective prayers. And the reason they're effective is because these prayers are simple, they're honest, they're humble prayers. So for the past couple of weeks, we've given you guys different breath prayers to pray throughout the week based upon the weekend. Prayers like heal me, prayers like search me, speak to me. And today we're gonna look at a prayer that is guide me as we look at a prayer called the Lord's Prayer, which you are probably pretty familiar with this morning. I know some of y'all are like, listen, we didn't pray the Lord's Prayer this morning, Trevor. At the end of the prayer time, we didn't do the Lord's Prayer. We know, calm down, we're coming back to it. Some of y'all are like, I know how this works on Sundays, and that was not right. So we're gonna get to this at the very end, I promise you. Now, the idea of having to pray maybe complex or lavish prayers to say it just the right way may be really intimidating to certain people. I know some folks after 17 years of ministry who I've invited to pray and been like, I don't know if I can do that because I'm not sure I have the right words to say or, I'll, or do it correctly. Uh, this whole series has been meant to hopefully free us from some of that. And say, this is not about praying a certain thing in just the right way, but instead it's, it's, a, it's a way of being humble and open to connect with God through simple prayers. Because what happens ultimately, if we're too intimidated for something that might be seem too difficult or too involved, then we're tempted just to not try it at all and not be involved at all. When I moved to South Carolina, uh, I come from Indiana. And so growing up in Indiana, the kind of fishing that I did was mostly in like farm ponds, like, you know, Zebco 303 kind of thing. You know, casting, some of y'all get, don't even know what that is. But fishing in farm ponds is the way we did this. And so it was very simple, very easy. When I came to South Carolina, I realized here in Lexington, we have like the Saluda River right in our backyard. And then not far from here, in a couple hours, like premier trout fishing up in North Carolina with fly rods. So I've always was intrigued by fly fishing, but it just seemed way too difficult for me to learn how to do. Like there's a nuance to it, certain angles, certain motions, certain ways of going about it. I just knew if I tried to fly fish, it would not go well. It seemed too involved, too difficult, so I just kind of steered away from it. But I was always intrigued by it. Now, when I first started serving here at Mount Horb, I was the middle school youth pastor, and we had a youth pastor who came in who was our student ministry director, and his name was Andy Cunningham. Y'all remember Andy Cunningham? And quickly became one of my really best friends, and he knew how to fly fish. So I remember when we first kind of met each other, he'd be like, hey, we should go to North Carolina. I'll take you to the Davidson River. We'll go fly fishing. I'm like, Andy, you don't know anything about me. I've never fly fished. I'll end up in a tree, and it'll be knots in a heartbeat. He's like, I promise, if you come with me, I'll be able to teach you the ins and outs, all the basics. You'll be catching fish in no time. So sure enough, we drove up to North Carolina and I was so nervous to be able to fly fish because again, there's just nuance to it. It's more of an art than it is a sport and I'm not much of an artist, so I didn't know if I'd be able to do this kind of thing. But sure enough, after some time trusting him to kind of show me the ways, got the basics down and eventually I wanna show you a picture of our first day fishing together. Here it is. Now the guy on the right right there is a little bit younger than he is today, but nice little brown trout that we caught up in North Carolina, all because I trusted my teacher to show me the basics how to make this thing happen. You see, Jesus in the Gospels over and over again has this way of taking really, really complex things and making them really simple for people to understand. See, what I've found is that a really good teacher is someone who's able to take the complex and make it simple. 
Some of the greatest teachers in my life in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, were teachers who were able to take really big ideas and show it to me in such a way that I could grasp a hold of it. I could take it in. I could do something with it. And this is what Jesus is so good at doing. In the Gospels, Jesus was followed by 12 different men, and they were called the disciples. Be confident. You got it. Disciples. 12 men who followed Jesus. For three years of Jesus' ministry, these disciples learned underneath him. The word disciple literally means teacher. I mean, sorry, literally means student or learner. Rabbi meant teacher, and Jesus was considered a rabbi. So it wasn't that odd that you had these 12 guys kind of following Jesus around, even though like today, if you had like an entourage of 12, it might be a little weird. In those days, it wasn't at all. This is the way people learned. They would have a rabbi who would be their teacher, and they would be a disciple who would fall underneath his leadership. So for three years, these disciples follow along with Jesus, and there's two accounts of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospels that we see, one of which takes place in Luke chapter 11, and in Luke chapter 11, there's an interesting lead-up to the Lord's Prayer, because the disciples come to Jesus after spending so many years with him, and they ask him a very important question. They say this, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Teach us how to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but... If I would have spent three years with Jesus, seeing all the things that Jesus did, I would have probably asked for other things. Like I would probably would have said, Jesus, teach us how to multiply food. That's a party trick that is super cool, and I would have used it over and over again. Let's multiply food, Jesus. I've seen you do it. Teach us how to do that. Or Jesus, teach us how to heal someone's sight. Help us to do that. That'd be amazing. Or Jesus, help us to turn water into wine. Teach us how to do that. I know some of y'all are like, that's the guy I'd be. Jesus, teach us how to turn water into wine. That would have been uh, the kind of request I would have made. But that's not what the disciples ask of Jesus. They say, teach us how to pray. And I think the reason, this is the request the disciples have for Jesus in, in Luke 11, is because they recognize that there was this power that Jesus had, and his prayer life was the key to that power. Because all throughout the Gospels, the authors chronicle for us all kinds of amazing things. They write for us the fantastic miracles that Jesus does and he performs. The authors write down the powerful sermons that Jesus delivered. They write down the different individuals that Jesus loved and cared for and befriended. They ultimately tell us about Jesus' sacrifice, his life, death on the cross, saved all of humanity. However, the authors also tell us about an aspect of Jesus' life that could have easily been forgotten. They write often that Jesus would go away to remote places and spend time in prayer. So oftentimes, after the disciples and Jesus would have some kind of incredible ministry time, Jesus would go away and he would pray. Or before some kind of incredible ministry time, Jesus would go away and he would steal away to a quiet place and he would pray. See, I think it's not too far-fetched to believe that Jesus saw that his cultivated relationship with the Father, his deep approval of God that he would receive in prayer, the guidance by the Spirit that would come through prayer was the key to Jesus' ministry. So it was a time for him to go away, to be refreshed, to be restored, to be filled up as he was pouring himself out to people each and every day. The prayer of Jesus' life was the key to his power. One of the most undeniable experiences I've ever had with prayer came when I was in college at CIU. I was a youth ministry major, I was also an outdoor leadership minor because as an outdoor leadership minor, we had to go backpacking for class, so you couldn't beat that. And one weekend, we were backpacking in North Carolina, and it was one of the worst, like, wettest, nastiest weekends ever, and we were hiking for three days through the Pisgah National Forest, and on our second day, our professor brought us to this mountainside, and he said, listen, I'm going to give you a time for a solo. We're like, what's a solo? He's like, I'm so glad you asked. You're going to be by yourself. 
for hours. And as an extrovert, I was like, that sounds wonderful. And so he said, I'm gonna drop you off on the mountainside all by yourself, you'll be by, by, all on your own, and I'll come back and get you at some point in time. I'm not gonna tell you when that's gonna be, you're just meant to spend time with God, spend time here and connect with him. So they gave us a Bible, I had some notes of some verses to read, and they dropped us off in different locations. I couldn't see anybody, I was all by myself. I remember sitting on the side of this mountain and it was pouring rain. So I've got my rain jacket on and a poncho over me, and I'm reading my Bible and the verses that I have. And you've ever sat down for a time of prayer to connect with God and you can't stop thinking about all the things that you need to do. And for me, all the things I didn't do before I left to come to the mountains. I'm thinking about what's happening next week. I'm thinking about the things I should have done last week. All this is going through my mind. It's keeping me from really being able to slow down enough to hear from God. I'm doing all the stuff. I'm reading the Bible. I'm reading the scriptures. I'm doing all the things I should be doing. And after about two hours of this, I was getting nowhere. So I got gotten up, kind of looked around to see if I could see anybody else who couldn't see him, throwing rocks down in the valley. I'm doing all, just to try to busy myself until one day Julio will come back and get us. But finally I sat down and, and really for the first time in my life, slowed myself down enough because I'm a fast-paced individual. But I slowed myself down enough and just kind of sat and just waited. And I can't explain it even to this day kind of what happened, but eventually all those thoughts that were racing through my mind, all the things that I was thinking about doing or that I should have done, began to kind of slowly fall away. And out of nowhere, the, the best way I can describe it is just like my, my mind just opened up. Like my heart just opened up. And there was this moment where I just felt like God, and again, not in an audible voice or anything, but was just, just pouring over me his love and acceptance, his grace and his mercy. It was a powerful experience. I don't even know how many hours we ended up being there, but it was just this really incredible experience where I finally made enough space in my life, I quieted down long enough, and it takes some time sometimes, doesn't it, to hear from God. And it changed my life. I mean, even to this day, years later, it's been a framework for me to follow where I feel like I can connect with God faster than I ever have before. Because I know what it feels like to, to put things aside enough to be able to be open to him, to hear from him. I think this is why the disciples, when they're speaking to Jesus and they have a chance to ask for anything, they're like, Jesus, teach us how to pray the way you do. We wanna know the kind of connection that you have with the Father. We wanna know the kind of guidance that you get from the Father. We wanna have the kind of power that you have from the Father. So teach us how to pray. And so Jesus does. We're gonna look in Matthew chapter six, the other account of the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus responds to the request, he begins to go into what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Now again, some in the room, maybe it's like memorized for you. Maybe some of you in the room, like if you're on a sports team, it's the first thing that you do right before you go to the field. You pray the Lord's Prayer together really, really fast and hope it's gonna give you good luck for the game or whatever. Like maybe you're really familiar with the Lord's Prayer. And this is where it comes from. Matthew chapter six, Luke chapter 11. And so Jesus leads into this discussion about the Lord's Prayer, though, by giving a bit of commentary on the kind of attitude that we should have when we come to the Father in prayer. So here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask it. So Jesus leads into the Lord's Prayer by giving these two kind of guardrails 
a couple different concerns that he has when it comes to the way that we come to the Father. He says, first and foremost, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be hypocrites who come and try to have grandiose prayers for everyone to see and everyone to be in awe of. Now, the Pharisees were kind of the highly religious individuals in that particular area at that particular time. And they were highly concerned with the way they looked in terms of their relationship with God rather than their actual relationship with God. So they would do all kinds of things to make people feel like they had a depth of relationship when in fact they didn't. And so Jesus says, be careful, don't be hypocrites. That's what he calls them. Now the word hypocrite in the Greek is the word hypocrites, and it literally means a stage player or an actor. It'd be someone who has a profession that doesn't match their practice. So someone who acts a certain way, but in fact, in their heart, is not that way. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't pray with these elaborate and gaudy prayers in the synagogue on the street corner for everybody to look at you and be in awe of how powerful your prayers are. Instead, he says, don't look for that kind of attention. Because if you look for that kind of attention, the pats on the back that you'll get, those will be your reward. That'll be your reward in full. It'd be like an actor at the end of some kind of show and the curtain comes down, there's a standing ovation, and that's it. They've pleased their peers. But Jesus says, I'm much more concerned with you pleasing the Father than with you pleasing others around you. So instead, in secret, go into your room, close the door, and pray for an audience of one. In secret, seek the Father's face. Don't look for applause from others. My grandmother on my Miller's side, passed away a couple years ago. And we had gone up to the funeral, and one of the neatest things that we found was in her room, she had a prayer journal. And so inside of this journal was all these handwritten prayers for years for everybody in the family, and all the grandkids, different prayers, and our names next to each and every one. And so, you know, as the favorite grandkid, I looked through all those names to find mine. And I read each one that she had written about, and some of those prayers were about football. Some of them were about girlfriends. Some of them were about my future call to ministry as I went to college and things. And my grandmother prayed for all of us, all these very specific prayers. And the coolest thing was, nobody even knew about it. Like she wasn't breaking out the prayer book and be like, hey guys, look at this. I've written about all of you. And if you want in here a few more times, make sure you do all the right things. That was not her attitude. My grandmother's attitude was where she believed that God was faithful, and if she brought these things before the Father, he would hear them, and he would, he would act on her behalf. Not as a way of her elaborately you know, showing off or seeking applause, but instead as a way of connecting with God herself. So Jesus says, be careful when you pray. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be someone who's playing something that is not, in fact, true. The second guardrail Jesus gives us is this. He's not just concerned about the motive behind our prayers, but also the simplicity of our prayers. Jesus says, too, don't be like the pagan who just babbles on and on and on, saying everything they possibly can because they're trying to get God's attention. That's not gonna help you. Jesus says, instead of being someone who babbles on, hoping to earn blessing from God, hoping to earn an answer for God, instead use simple prayers. Like some of the prayers we've talked about over the past few weeks. Heal me, search me, speak to me, guide me. These are the kind of simple prayers that we can bring to God. And the reason Jesus says be simple is because God already knows what you want before you even ask it. He knows every hair on our head or the lack thereof. God knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows us inside and out. 
So what God is not looking for is some kind of show. He's looking for your heart. He's not looking for a performance. He's looking for your presence. And here's why. You cannot impress God. No matter how much you wanna pray out loud and impress those around you, no matter how much you may want to just continue to ask and ask and ask and babble on, you cannot impress God. He already knows your heart. He already knows what you need before you ask. It'd be like with my kids. I, I would not want my kids to just walk around and like flatter me out in public. Like, this is the most wonderful dad there's ever been. This dad right here is the best dad. I'd be like, what do you want? Like, you don't talk like this normally. Like, what is going on? I wouldn't want flattery out in front of everybody else. I, and I don't want them trying to manipulate me, butter me up by saying, dad, you're the best dad ever. And here's the thing that I really, really want. I know what my kids want. They don't have to tell me about it. I'm their dad. I know them inside and out. What I much prefer is some things that happen every once in a while in my household. Like when things get really, really quiet, which is like never, but occasionally when it gets really quiet and one of my kids will just say, you know what, dad, I love you. Or dad, thank you. My daughter, Murray Miller, three years years old right now, is so good at this. Like our house would get really quiet when all the boys go to bed and she's usually the last one to go to bed and she's watching her shows. Out of nowhere, she'll just turn and she's like, dad, I sure do love you. I'm like, you get whatever you want, daughter. You've melted my heart. But, but I think this is the kind of thing that Jesus is trying to introduce to us when it comes to prayer. You can't impress God. You can't do it. So instead, these simple prayers are a way for us to open up our hearts to God and that we might hear his heart be as well. Through simple prayers, we can have connection with him. He, here's what the philosopher and writer Soren Kierkegaard said. He said this about prayer. He said, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. The function of prayer is not to change God's mind about things. The function of prayer is to change our heart towards things, to more align ourselves with God. This seems to be Jesus's heart between these few verses as he leads into the Lord's prayer, the framework for us to pray. And here's why this is so important. The simple prayer guide me, must be uttered with the end goal not being to somehow influence God to see the world my way, but instead for God to so influence us that we would see the world his way. That's what prayer is about. So Jesus says, don't try to impress God. Don't try to impress others. God already knows your heart, so keep it simple. Speak to him as if he's sitting right next to you. So after he speaks this to the disciples, then he gives a framework for prayer. And once again, this is a prayer that we pray every single Sunday at the end of our prayers because we believe it's important. In fact, Jesus said, pray this way, and so we do. But it offers us a model for how we can come to the Lord in prayer. So here's what Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 10 says. Jesus begins by saying this. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's how Jesus starts out this prayer. It's with a focus on God's authority. He says, pray like this, our father, which means God is our father, which makes us his children. And not only that, but it's our father who's in heaven. He's over us. He's above us. He's other than us. 
who has a kingdom, and that kingdom is meant to come here to earth. It means he's king, and he's Lord, and he has a will for how things should go, and the kind of life that he wants to have around us, and manifest within our midst. This kind of prayer that Jesus invites them to pray has a focus on our submission before God. Rather than a laundry list of things that we want God to know about or do for us, we begin by saying, you know what, God? Here's the truest thing about us. We are underneath your authority. We submit to your will. Our kingdom is no match for your kingdom. We want to be a part of manifesting in our world. It reorients us to the fact that we are not the authors of our story. We are not ultimately the ones who are in charge. This is a lesson that was learned by a guy named J. Wilbur Chapman. and He was a Presbyterian evangelist in the late 19th century. And Jay Wilbur had the chance to go to London to meet with a man named William Booth, General William Booth. He and his wife, Catherine, were the founders of, do you know what? The Salvation Army. And so General William Booth at this point in time was, was above 80 years old. And Jay Wilbur had a chance to come and spend time with him and talk with him. And he reverently listened to the old general speak of the trials and conflicts and the victories of the ministry they'd had over many, many years, making a massive difference to people all around the world, the most needy among us. So finally, the American evangelist asked the general if he would disclose his secret of success. Like, what's the secret? And here's what what William Booth said. He hesitated for a second, Dr. Chapman said, and I saw the tears come from his eyes and steal down his cheeks. And then he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains, men with greater opportunities, but from the day I got the poor of London in my heart and a vision of what Jesus could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there's anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Dr. Chapman said that as he went away from that meeting with General Booth, he knew this. The greatness of a man's power or a woman's power is the measure of their surrender. Jesus knew this. So he says to the disciples, when you begin to pray, start here. God, you're the boss. You're the one who's in charge. I'll do whatever you say if you lead me, if you guide me. See, simple prayers focus on God's power He's Father, He's divine, He's King, He's Lord, He has all authority on heaven and on earth. And this posture, unless we have this posture, we will undoubtedly end up trying to build our own little kingdoms as opposed to joining God and bringing His kingdom here to earth. We must start here. When is the last time that you approached God in prayer by establishing first, you're the one who's in charge, God, not me? So as you lead, I will follow. And what you say, I will do. So Jesus says this simple prayer starts with God's power. And then in verse 11, he goes on with the Lord's prayer by saying this. Matthew chapter six, verse 11, he says, give us today our what? Our daily bread. We pray it every single week. Give us today our daily bread. But my question is, like, why bread? (laughs) Of all the things that we could ask for to provide for us, why bread? This part of this guiding prayer, Jesus reflects on the fact that not only do we have to recognize God's power in our life, we have to also recognize God's provision in our life. 
that he is the only one who could ever fulfill us. He's the only one who could ever fill us. Far too many of us in the room this morning have lives that are tragic stories of individuals who are finding other types of fulfillment within our lives, looking for other ways to make ourselves feel worthy or loved or enough besides God himself. So why bread? Why provide daily bread? If you're a Jewish listener hearing this prayer that Jesus prayed, you, you know exactly what he's talking about because your mind ultimately go all the way back to the Old Testament in Exodus. As the people of Israel were rescued out of Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness because they complained and they grumbled against God. And they find themselves in Exodus chapter 16 and they're hungry. They're so hungry, they're like, God, we'd rather go back to Egypt. Even though we were enslaved there, at least we had pots of meat to sit around and eat. And they're complaining and complaining. And so God says, I'm gonna provide for you. So he provides something called manna. Everyone say manna. Now in the Hebrew, this literally means what is it? So it's not like this provision was like super yummy, okay? This went for years and years and years, but God provided for them. And what he said in Exodus chapter 16 is every morning there'll be dew on the ground and that dew will become something called manna. It'll be something for you to eat and to provide for you, to sustain you. But there's a very specific instruction in Exodus chapter 16. God says, when you go out to gather the manna in the morning, only gather enough for what? One day. Only gather enough for today. In fact, any Israelite who gathered more than just enough for that day it immediately spoiled. It was inedible. They had to gather more the next day. And here's why. God was teaching the Israelite people a very, very important lesson. It's a lesson of trust. That if God provides for you each and every day, all you must gather is enough for today. You don't need more because you can trust that God will be faithful again tomorrow to provide again tomorrow. Now, again, if I'm an Israelite, I'm praying something different. I'm like, God, would you provide zebra cakes? Those things will last forever. And if you give us some of those, we could gather so many. It'll last like years. We'll get out of here one day. Everything will be cool. That's not what God does. God provides something that will just sustain them for the day to teach trust. In Proverbs chapter 30, the writer writes about this exact concept from Exodus. Proverbs 30, chapter seven through nine says this. Two things I ask you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me. And then he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So the writer of Proverbs says, just give me enough. Don't give me too much, because if I have too much, and our culture is such a great example of this, if you give me too much stuff, God, if you provide for me too much, I will be tempted to only trust myself to provide for myself. I'll no longer need you. But if you give me too little, I will find myself trying to provide for myself and no longer trust you either. So give me just enough for today. So this prayer that Jesus prays, it's first and foremost about power. Simple prayers have a focus on power. But secondly, simple prayers like this have a focus on provision. God, I will trust you today to provide for me today just enough, just enough. So Jesus continues on in this prayer. In Matthew chapter six, verse 12, he speaks further by saying this. You all know this part of the prayer. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Now, on Sunday morning, we say it a little bit different. We say, forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. So if you notice, Jesus starts with the power of God, the provision of God, and now he's talking about the pardon of God. You see, Jesus understands that for every one of us and for his disciples, they would experience in this life different hurt that one, they would offer to other people. They would hurt people around them. And at the same time, others would hurt them. It's a byproduct of the fallen nature that we live within, that we will constantly, over and over again, harm one another. So we have to keep short accounts. And so Jesus says, part of your prayer must have to do with pardon. Because first and foremost, unless we recognize that God has so pardoned us, offered us grace and mercy through his life, death, and resurrection, unless we receive that truly for ourselves, we will have no grace to offer anybody else. So Jesus says, pray this, forgive us our debts, God, so that we might forgive those who have debts against us. Forgive us our trespasses, God, the way we've gone wrong, the sin that we've committed, so that those who commit sin against us, we might offer grace to them as well. It reminds me of this story that I read this week about a little boy who was in a park and he was sitting on a bench. And as he was sitting on this bench, he was very clearly in some kind of pain. And so this man who's walking by in the park as well sees this little boy sitting on the bench in pain. And the guy looks at him and he says, hey, what is wrong with you? And the little boy says, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. And the man said, well, why don't you get up and get off the bumblebee? And the little boy said, because I'm figuring I'm probably hurting him more than he's hurting me. You see, in our life, we do a very similar thing when it comes to those who have harmed us or those whom we have harmed. Too often, we feel like there's some kind of revenge that we could possibly get here, some kind of hurt or pain we could cause this person because of what they've done to us, not realizing the entire time it's pain all around that unless we offer grace to the other and recognize the grace that God has given to us, then neither one of us will really ever experience healing and freedom. And even as I say this, even as I preach this, this is a part of the prayer that is so difficult to have, isn't it? Because when someone hurts us and harms us, we so badly want to have it turn back on them. As you read through the Old Testament over and over again, this is the kind of writing in the book of Psalms where the Israelite people will pray against some kind of enemy God. Would you just have vengeance for us? Would you do something for us? But every time they ended by trusting in God still, even if you don't, even if you don't, we'll trust you. The same thing is true in our life. We can trust that God's grace is sufficient for us. And not only that, but it's sufficient for those around us. We can share it with those around us. Jesus says it's not just about power. It's not just about provision, but being guided by God is also about his pardon, that he loves us enough to forgive us, that we might forgive others. Lastly, Matthew chapter six, verse 13, Jenna, Jenna, sorry, Jesus, my wife's on my brain. Jesus ends this story and this prayer by saying this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now again, most of us have read this or said this over and over and over again, but I think there's a really important thing that oftentimes we forget, that we live in a culture, we live in a world where the evil one is very real, where temptation is very real. Jesus knew this. Jesus did not take it for granted. So he says, as you end this prayer, as you take this framework and connect with God through this simple prayer, you must pray that God would protect you from temptation and the evil one. And if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, 
We allow God to protect us from those things because if we're not careful, it's a slow drift. It's a slow drift in the culture we live in. Temptation and evil is always around the corner. My family and I's favorite thing to do in the summertime is to go to the beach. Like pirate land is our beach location of choice. So whenever we go there, there's kind of like a rule that we have to, at least one of the days that we're there, spend many hours just sitting on the beach. And if you know me at all, I'm not a good like beach sitter. And so my wife is an awesome beach sitter. So we'll take our chairs out to the beach, we'll put them down and we'll sit down. And my boys have, in the past couple of years, loved to body surf. And so they have these little boards and we go out to the water and we sit down and we'll watch them body surf over and over. And they're, they're busting it, you know, sand everywhere and, you know, burning up their chest, all kinds of stuff. And they love it though. And they'll just do it over and over and over again. But what inevitably happens is they get their focus off of where Jen and I are sitting on the beach right here. And there's a riptide in that current that eventually, you know, over and over the winds, uh, the waves, the wipeouts, all the things, they start slowly shifting down the beach until eventually, before, without even knowing, they're, they're 100 yards down the beach. And so what happens then, my wife slaps me, of course, and I gotta get out of the chair. I gotta walk down. I'll yell as loud as I can when they get their attention. I'm like, come back up here, come back up here. And they make their way back up to body surf again in front of us. But again, they get their eyes off of mom and dad sitting in the beach sand right there, eventually slow drift away again. This is a part of our life. Jesus knew it. There's temptation and there's evil. And unless our eyes are focused on Christ without even knowing it, we will find ourselves drifting to places that we never thought we'd find ourselves with people that we never intended to be with, doing things that we never intended to do. So Jesus says, pray this, pray for God's protection from temptation and from the evil one, trusting that God loves us enough to take care of us. That he'll walk down the beach over and over again and wave us back home, come close again. Maybe even this morning you found yourself way down the beach. Here's the good news. Jesus always, always invites us back. It's a simple prayer. It's only four pieces to it. Jesus says, pray in these different ways. Pray with a focus on power. Pray with a focus on provision, just enough for today. Pray with a focus on pardon. God, you've forgiven me from so, for so much that I might forgive others. And pray for God's protection because we are all in need. Jesus is such a good teacher that he can take something so complex like connecting with the God of the universe through prayer and he can make it so simple that it's something we can recite and we do each and every Sunday. But here's the temptation, the last thing I wanna say. We have to be really careful that we don't let this ritual become a rut. For a lot of us on a Sunday morning as we end our prayer together, we know exactly what to say. As Jesus taught us how to pray, boom, we go right into it. But if we're not careful, we're just speaking words. We're not recognizing what it really means. You see, the reason the church has, for centuries, had some kind of rite or ritual, liturgy, involved in some kind of ways, so that every person who comes on a Sunday morning to worship has a chance to hear the truth of God right before them, something they can keep in their mind, so that before ball games, before this, or before that, we could say it at the drop of a hat but do we really recognize what it means? So this morning, I invite you to stand if you would. I wanna pray over us together today. If you would stand, let's pray together. God, I wanna thank you that you cared about us enough 
that you've offered to us these simple prayers to stay connected to you. Prayers like heal me, search me, speak to me, guide me. And I pray this morning, Father, that you would find us right where we are and you would show us the kind of simple prayer that we could breathe in and breathe out with this week, that we might stay connected to you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your compassion and your love that you've offered to us that we might offer to those around us. We submit to your authority, God. We trust you to provide for us. We thank you for your forgiveness. We ask you to protect us and our families in this church as we're in the midst of temptation and evil every single day. We don't wanna drift from you, God. We wanna stay close. So this morning together, We come together to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. As we say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. and ever. Amen.